just trust me, okay? This is Michael, and tonight I am joined by a very special guest. He actually is in sober living in this area. There's a lot of different options, but he has chosen Oxford House. So he is also the winner of the competition for the talent show for the state of Virginia for Oxford House. Please welcome Justin Jenkins. Hello, guys. Hello, hello. So let's talk a little bit about that first. So... There was a talent competition. This was the second one that was statewide across Oxford House of Virginia. You won for a dramatic reading of what poem? It was called Dear Anxiety by Clayton Jennings. And what was your draw to that poem? Well, growing up, I knew that, I guess you could say, I couldn't find words to how I was feeling growing up. Okay. And then when I came across this poem, Mm -hmm. just out of the blue i could it was amazing and uh it just how long ago did you hear it it was or read it rather about two years ago okay and then all of a sudden you know the talent show was presenting itself i was kind of anxious i didn't want to do it and then all of a sudden it just popped into my head and i'm like just doing it automatically like not thinking and knew that i had to express this so yeah, it was quite a visual to see, and just listening to you, it was very emotional. Um, quite honestly, I remember I was sitting here with Nikita, one of our panelists, and we were watching it, and we both were just like blown away. And it was pretty interesting too, because a lot of people this year did poems um, as well as like dramatic readings of stories and things like that, and. The draw the year before, well, the last time we did it, rather, because of COVID, we didn't have it last year, mm-hmm. was all about singing and rapping. So it was really interesting that it was much more about poems and that kind of thing. And it was it was very moving. So you did quite a good job of that. And it was clear. It was almost like you did write it. So it was, yeah, it was very touching. So with that in mind, one of the biggest components that contributes to your story, and it's something we've been talking about a lot. One of the side things that we talk about a lot on here has to do with addiction and overcoming addiction and really overcoming obstacles in your life. And not everyone goes on the same journey or tackles a same problem the same way. And so just as many people that maybe they are quote unquote one chip wonders, they come in, they decide they're going to get clean and sober, and then they stay that way. There's also several people that that's not necessarily their story. Relapse is a part of some people's story. It doesn't have to be a part of everyone's story, but I know that is something that you have dealt with as well. So we will, we will come and circle back on that. But with that, we're going to go ahead and start with where are you from? I am originally from Chesapeake, Virginia. Okay. Born and raised. And I've pretty much lived here all my life. And, yeah, just... So, Chesapeake, what year was that? 1989. Nice. So, 89. And what was your childhood like? Parents still together? Parents are still together. I know that they are going to be celebrating, I think, their 36th or 37th uh, year of marriage. And, uh, yeah, my childhood was pretty... it, It was basically... A nice childhood. Okay. The only difference was is that I had, I just didn't know how to express myself. I was more shelled. I would basically kept to myself. I was very active, ADHD, everything like that. You know, I was kind of hard to handle. <laughs> and trust me, distractions. Yeah, you couldn't get me sitting 
sitting still. Okay, so how... Oh, and before I get off on that, how many um, siblings do you have? I've got one brother. Okay. Older or younger? Younger. Okay. So how long was it before you found yourself trying a different substance, whether it was alcohol, drugs, or whatnot? Basically, I didn't start anything until age 21. Okay. So it was like alcohol, but cigarettes, 18. So you graduated high school, everything like that. Everything was fine. Mm-hmm. Nothing really exciting happened there. Nothing. Great childhood. Everything's fantastic. Then you get to the point where you're going to have to figure out if you're going to go to college or not. You did go to college or not? I didn't go to college. I, well, actually, I did go to community college. I didn't go to a big college. I wanted to kind of start off the community college and then go to ODU or something like that. Okay. So what ended up happening? Well, working two jobs and then trying to do... Four classes didn't work out because, of course, like I said, even though I'm taking medications for my ADHD, I still couldn't just manage everything at once. So I had to drop out, you know, so it sucked. Okay, so you dropped out. And then what was your next thing that you moved on to? The next thing I moved on to was basically maintaining two jobs. At first, 17 years old, I worked as an IT person for the school system. I mean, basic thing like putting RAM in computers and, uh, you know, just going to different schools and just making sure that we change the RAM to like, what, 512 megabytes or something like that. Okay. Yeah. And then it went from that to landscaping for the school system. Mm -hmm. Then after that, I transferred back to IT because they were giving more money out. It was like $13 an hour. Then after that, I went to become a custodian. Did that substitute for three years. I also did McDonald's in the process. I mean, I was like, what, maintenance? And getting up at 4 a.m. and getting off of work at 12 a.m. So I was basically burning the candle at both ends. And trust me, it was not fun. (laughs) I would wake up thinking I missed work, but it was actually my day off. And I slept for like, what, 16 hours? Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's a lot. Yeah. Very hectic. Where were you living at the time? Uh, still with my parents, so okay. it was in South Norfolk. Okay. And what kind of work did your parents do? My dad is a locksmith. He's been in the school system for about 36 years. My mother started, when I graduated, she became a cafeteria worker. Then she got promoted to a cafeteria manager. Okay. So working class family. Yes. Okay. And how much younger is your brother? He's five years younger. Okay. And what was your relationship like with your brother? Let's just put it this way. My ADHD and his personality did not go over so well, and we annoyed the hell out of each other. Okay. That happens. That happens. Um, my brother had issues in, when he was younger with ADHD, and he kind of, I guess, was able to put that to rest for a bit. Um, he just had to study a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So I know that can be very trying. So you were medicated and still continue to be medicated for ADHD? Yes. At okay. third grade, I, that's when I started and kept on up until this point, present day. Okay. So now you're in the middle of all these jobs. You're a custodian and you're basically getting like no sleep. You're stressed out, feeling like you're missing something all the time because you're going from one thing to the next to the next. Yes. So how old were you at this point? Uh, In my 20s. So early 20s. Had you started drinking yet? Uh, 21, I started drinking, blacking out, you know, going to the clubs, you know, kind of. Uh, so to be clear, you didn't yeah. have your first drink until you were 21. Yes. Okay. And how quickly after that did it start to turn into blackouts? 
Um, almost immediately. Okay. Now, I just got the taste for it. Does that? Do you think it, what contributed to that too? Because that's really accelerated. Was the the fact that you were on medications as well? I believe so. I mean, the Adderall would keep. Yeah, it's a stimulant. So of course, when you're taking depressants, you could drink more. And of course, it didn't help that I was doing. Uh, what is it? Blue motorcycles. You know, come on. Those things are heavy. So you, and plus you were going to the clubs that were probably a little heavy handed. Oh yeah. We are a free poor state. <laughs> so yes. Well, with that, so you're partying and all of this, how long before your life started to present itself as becoming unmanageable? I can say that, okay, so it didn't get really unmanageable until th- uh, 29 years old. So you, from 21 to 29, you were just working a million jobs, drinking kind of, keeping that at bay without it really taking over. Yes. So what caused the tailspin? The tailspin was caused by a relationship that I was in, and it was a guy that was named Gregory. I won't give his last name. Thank you. you Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So he just caused a lot of anxiety and depression. I'm like, you know what? I had enough. I was fed up. I'm like, you know, let me just expand my horizons. I know I was scared to death of trying anything because I thought I could die, like, immediately. Which, of course, you know, in some cases you could. But I'm like, you know what? At this point, fuck it. Let's do it. Okay. So I managed to get on Grinder and actually... The infamous app. Yes. You know that. (laughs) All of us do in the community. (laughs) So for those out there who might be straight and listening and you haven't heard of Grindr, number one, you're lying. Number two, (laughs) number two, a Dominique's over here going, I don't know what it is. Liar. (laughs) So Yes. Yeah, exactly. So Grindr is um, the hookup app for specifically gay people, um, otherwise known as the app that sometimes wives and girlfriends will find and go, what is this? (laughs) Yes. 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 So be on the lookout. <laughs> yes. God knows. So, anyways, all right. So you're on the hookup app. You start doing that, and this is now. How old were you when you started going on that app? Let's just say 18 years old. Okay. So you're but, 18 years old. You start going on, uh-huh. and that starts leading to trouble. Now, before we get into the grinder app um, itself and what that led to, yes. let's circle back to your sexuality. So, how old were you when you came to grips with the fact that you were not what your parents probably thought you were? Oh, well, let's just say about 15, 16. And what did that look like for you? Were you scared? Was that something that concerned you about what your family might think? I was the. I felt like an outcast. And I couldn't explain it to my parents because I thought that they would be disappointed and that disappointment would crush me. Okay. So, of course, like I said, I didn't know how to express my feelings. I did not feel like I had a voice. If I did have a voice, I would crush my parents and then that would destroy me as well because I'm a kind and compassionate person. Okay. You know. So, what ended up happening when you did come out? How old were you? Let's say that my parents knew that I was gay. Okay. It's just that I didn't have the voice to say I'm gay. Okay. So, with that being said, it's it had to been like 24, 25, and that's when I met up with a very toxic relationship named Kevin, which, let's just say, he was my first narcissistic relationship that led me down, you know, the path of depression and led me down to more drinking, and, you know, he just... And you're how old at that point? I'm like 24, 25. Okay. So... At that point, I was in a lot of debt because, of course, you know, I gave money 
on the assumption of promises were going to be fulfilled, and they did not end up getting fulfilled. Oh, money. Yeah. So, with that being said, around 28 is when I started getting a a lawyer for bankruptcy, and actually got that done. So, I'm now free and clear of credit and all that, but... Congratulations. Thank you. And... And all of this is yeah. happening prior to what you consider to be your tipping point. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to take our first break and we will be right back. All my brothers with beards, raise up your beards, let that thing grow out. Welcome back. So we were talking about the fact that a lot of different things happened before what you consider to be your tipping point really hit. So you grew up in a working fast, working, sorry, working class, working fast, working (laughs) class family, and you have a brother, you already feel different, you're dealing with ADHD, you're trying to keep that at bay, you're trying, you have a lot of stuff going on, you were trying to go to college, that didn't pan out, now you're working not just one job, but I think it was what, three jobs? Yes, kind of. And we're, and you were living at home still, while also having to deal with the fact that, you know, you're gay, but not necessarily able to say it, Yes. but they knew. And then it kind of, I guess, became a little more known once you're in these relationships. So, Kevin, is your second or your first toxic relationship? First toxic relationship in the gay sense, yes. Okay. So, you're in this relationship. This was prior to you getting on the infamous app and kind of branching out, or this is because of the app you ended up meeting this person? It was because of the app, but it wasn't Grinder or Scruff. And that's another one. That's another one for the gay community. Now, that one's lesser known. I will say that. Oh, God, there's like a billion of them. It's yes, sad. There is. It's sad. But anyways, <laughs> find love in a hopeless place sometimes. You know <laughs> so in any case, so you met, this is now, how many relationships had you had prior to this one, would you say? I'm going to say one. Okay. And that was with a girl named Sarah. And I will tell you, there was some issues there I forgot to mention. Go ahead. So, I mean, I could think the biggest issue is that you're kind of, you're gay. So that's that's, a problem. That is kind of an issue. (laughs) It's kind of a non-starter. Yeah. All right. But uh, let's just say that my uncle, Rocky, was in a relationship with this woman named Aunt Melissa. Well, Melissa, but we call her aunt because she got, they got married around 2004, 2003. Okay. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because she passed away. And I'm on and off in this relationship with Sarah, and uh, so far five out of, years. I, I'm sure that this is what a lot of people listening are wondering. Yeah, why? If you knew that you were gay, why were you in this relationship with Sarah? To maintain that. Well, in my mind, I thought that I was fooling were, my parents. I was about to say, you way, thought like you're being clever. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, yes, that's what I was going to say. She was the beard before you had the one that's on your face. So gotcha. There we go. Okay. So you were hiding. Now, to be clear, though, when you were in the relationship with her, were you actually fooling anyone or were they like, come on, what are you doing? Let's just say that in my mind, I was thinking that that was enough to make my parents believe that I'm trying to, you know, go the righteous path. Okay. And, uh, now, did any of this have to do with religious purposes that you're... Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So, you're thinking, what? That you're going to go to hell for being gay? 
Um, not in that sense. It's more or less, like I said, the acceptance of my parents. It's like, okay, okay. since I have a girlfriend, guess what? <laughs> my parents are happy. You know, okay. I can show affection in front of them. That kind of deal. Now, how long did you drag this non-starter relationship out for? Five years. Wow. You were quite committed. Oh, yeah. Okay, so five years. And what ended up being the outcome of that? Oh, here's the tea for that one. Let it all out. (laughs) So, it began with, like I said, the death of my aunt. And then, you know, things progressed to where my uncle was going through the stages of, like, he he didn't grieve my aunt long enough and he started dating somebody else and then that progressed into a big ass mess and then of course me and her were fading out because i was getting tired of it because this girl was obsessed oh she was bipolar okay oh it's a good matchup for an adhd guy yeah who's gay and in the closet exactly and petrified of religion oh yeah that's a lot so, long story short, and this is the phrase that my mother will always remember, you know, when she asked, what do you want from my son, or what do you want out of a relationship? She asked this girl. Yes. She asked Sarah, and she said, all I want is a man to take care of me. That's it. And that's when my uncle, like I said, he did not grieve my aunt enough, long enough. He just wanted another person to fill that space, and Sarah and him got together and married and now has four kids did you say you're from virginia or west virginia (laughs) uh that's kind of funny because my dad's from west virginia and my mom's from virginia well yes this is exactly why i do not talk to y'all before you come on my show because i want these reactions to be just like this holy moly my mind is blown i really thought the biggest part of that facet was going to be the fact that you're in the closet never mind (laughs) so she but what i will say is interesting and you can correct me if i'm wrong Mm -hmm. you know you obviously were not going to be able to do whatever was needed for that to continue yes she just kind of traded on over and so okay so truth be told is you know do they have some sort of a functional happiness together nope I'm gonna say that right now they are going through hell I mean they've been together for 10 years and my uncle I guess you could say in so many words he's just waiting for death because he's just stressed out Sarah doesn't do anything like I said she just wanted a man to take care of her and you know when she popped out kids she wasn't even taking care of them and and now four kids later yes wow well I mean let's pretend okay so if you were straight sounds like you saved yourself yes some hurt (laughs) so golly all right so here we are with that that's that's what happened there now Obviously, that didn't really... It sounds to me more like it kind of was a nullified situation. Like, it didn't really hurt or benefit. It just kind of took care of itself. Mm-hmm. How did you feel after that? Did you kind of feel relieved? Like, okay, well, yes. now I don't have to worry about breaking her heart because she's fucked up anyway. Yes. Okay, so she's moved on. Then how much longer after that did you roll on over into your actual relationship, that would be your first gay relationship. That would have to be three or four years later. Okay, so three or four years of looking online and trying looking in person and stuff too, uh-huh. right? Okay. So you meet, you said his name is Kevin. Yes. Okay, so, and thank you, no last names. Yes. So, Kevin, whoever you are. So, you're with him. How long were you with him? I was with him for five years too. Okay, well, you are not a commitment phobe. 
So we'll, <laughs> we'll give you that. So when you're in it, you're in it. Yes. So, okay, so you're with him for five years. What was the outcome of that besides the money? Okay, so, of course, here am I being committed to a relationship in which, okay, I was blind to people that are drug addicts because... Let's put it this way. Oh, so he was a drug addict. Oh, he was a drug addict. After the fact that well, I broke up with him, that's when I found out that. What was like, his weapon of choice? Uh, let's say going to the hospitals, getting Dilaudid, Demerol, um, all the other stuff that you would uh, get from, you know, kidney stones or, you know, something that would. Oh, was he one of those people that would go and like purposely try to hurt themselves or something in order to get yes. more stuff? Wow. Okay. Let's just say that I went but to you the didn't know that every other week. At yeah. the time. Yeah. You just thought like, okay, he's just always getting hurt. Yes. <laughs> okay. Until I saw that he was scraping, you know, his skin or whatever and, you know, like uh, compromising his blood urine or urine, you know, because of course they count the blood to see if, you know, there's a stone passing. So he would do that. So. That is interesting. So gross. Wow. Okay. But you know what? It's interesting, though. Um, a lot of people in recovery know you have to go to any lengths to get recovery and to get to stay stopped. But you also have to go to the same crazy lengths that you would have gone to to get whatever you needed to stay fucked up and high and in an alternate state of mind. That's so, correct. So, I mean, him doing all that, if he was to pursue, he'd have to go just as aggressively at trying to get his life back on track. So yes. so what ended up being the demise of that relationship, though, was the money. You didn't know about the drug stuff until later. It was just the money really blew that up. He was yes. draining you. Pretty much. Okay, so when we talk about draining you out, how many thousands of dollars are we talking? 30000 35000 Wow. Okay, yeah. so it's a, it's a little nest egg. I was very ignorant, you know what I'm saying? It's like a so, down payment on a house or a couple of houses. So, okay, yeah, that's that's a lot. So, how how did you feel when it started getting to the point where it was going to have to end? What was your breaking point with him? I really wanted him to break it off because I wasn't strong enough to break it off myself. It's kind of like with me having a voice, it was not out yet. Okay, so... Did he break it off, or he, did you? Okay, so he kind of broke it off in the sense of I took him up to Northern Virginia because his mother lived up there, and of okay. course he used to live up there. Okay. And with me taking him up there, then it was kind of like, okay, since he's away, it's more or less, you know, less intense. Right, right. So. Okay, so you took him up north to uh -huh. try to kind of lay the burden with someone else. Yes. And then you left him there. Yes. And then that was the end of that. That was the end of that. Okay, so after that was over, you come back down here into uh -huh. the Hampton Roads area. Yes. Okay. And you go back to your life. Mm -hmm. And what do you start doing? This is now you're 28? Yeah, I'm 27, 28, yeah. Okay. So you're 28, you're fresh out of this long-term relationship. It was your first serious one with a guy. Yes. And now you're you're yourself. You're fully owning you. Yes. So are you still living with your parents at this point? I was... Living with my aunt at the time, because I think okay. at 23, that's when I decided me and my father weren't getting along, and I decided to walk out of the house and went to live with my aunt. Okay. So to be clear, all of this time, and I don't know what later in your story is, but as of this point, no legal anything, correct? Uh, the only thing that was legal was 22 years old with a DUI. Okay. Yes. I just have to say, I cannot, like, at 21, you know... When I started drinking, it was I was 21, and 
after that, it was, and that was when I had my first real drink. And then I did get my first DUI. I think I was about 23-ish. So it was pretty soon after, but then I kind of just like, that was such a random night. It was, you know, (laughs) so I mean, for you, was it kind of just like random that you were doing that or? Very random, yes. Okay. And did you, were you avidly driving under the influence beyond? My blood alcohol content was 0.11. Okay. And uh, it was over a glass of wine. It was kind of a big glass of wine. And I was say, come on now. You're not yeah. on the stand. It wasn't just one <laughs> glass of wine. Yes. <laughs> so what happened was I overcorrected myself on Greenbro- uh, was it Greybridge Boulevard and Battlefield. Okay. And, of course, the cop followed me all the way up to the intersection of, I guess you could say the... I can't think of it. Okay. It's where you make a U-turn yeah. in that expressway. Okay. So with that being said, um, I went there, spent the night in jail. Of course, my dad picked me up and I said, please don't say anything because I already know what, what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. He obliged in that. And after that, of course, and by the grace of God, um, my grandmother actually paid all the expenses, the fines and whatnot. And, you know, that's one of the last things that I remember of her you know, taking care of me because she actually sat with me at court. So that's, yeah. so you got your DUI when you were 22 yes, and then going back to where we were, you're 28 and you're still with your aunt. Yes. Okay. So what does life start looking like for you now? Do you go right back to going online? Do you start looking yes. for another relationship? Yes. Basically random hookups, all that stuff. I okay. I mean, you know, I was very avid on wanting to try to find another relationship. Okay. So... Would you say that at that time, one of the addictions you had as a precursor to recognizing your addiction for alcohol and stuff like that was an addiction to people? You were lonely. Codependency and, yeah, codependency was a major okay. in this. Okay, so you're you're feeling all alone. You start looking right away. What ends up happening to get you? What starts leading to the tipping point of where it got unmanageable? Okay, so... You know, kind of rewind in the whole when I was with Kevin, there was a guy that, you know, he was living with roommates. And, of course, I was kind of stationed over in Williamsburg because, after all, I worked for Bush Gardens and being a custodian. Okay. So, you can imagine 8 a.m. to midnight. Okay. And driving from Williamsburg to Chesapeake to work. Okay. You know, both jobs. So, with that being said... It's a long drive. Oh, yeah. And I would pa- I would kind of pass out, you know, in between driving from Williamsburg, Williamsburg to uh, Chesapeake. And correct me if I'm wrong, at this point was one of the perks working at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, a.k.a. owned by Anheuser-Busch still at that time, that mm-hmm. you got a case of beer a month for free? No, that wasn't the case. Uh, it was 30% off of everything except for, what was it called? It was something to do with, like, de- deodorant, you know... Okay. Amenities like gotcha. That. Yeah, because I remember back in the day there was people that was like mm-hmm. you either got sodas or you got beer at once a month, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't know if that was a contributing factor. Mm. So you're going back and forth to Bush Gardens. You're driving a long ways, and then you feel that part of the story you need to circle back to Kevin. Yes. So of course his roommate at the time, because he was living with like five or six people in like a very small apartment. Um, so, of course, I kind of connected with the roommate, Greg, and, of course, after the breakup with Kevin, and after, like, one or two years, I finally connected back with him because he got back into the area, and then me and him started talking. He needed a place to stay. He stayed with my aunt, and that led to where we started dating, and then we fell apart, 
And, of course, he's unstable, I'm unstable, and it's causing a lot of anxiety and depression on my part. He's just in la-la land, because that's the way Greg was. Okay. And it led to me where, you know, he wanted to move out to a boat to live. Okay, I don't know where his mindset was. I'm like, you're living in a place where there is guaranteed heat, and if it rains, it's not going to, uh, you know, make everything wet and, you know miserable right so after that that's when i decided okay i'm gonna get on grinder scruff whatever it may be to hook up and you know just meet new people and of course at the time uh meth is getting very popular or if it was already popular i'm getting into it it's a new thing for me well and at the time too and i believe it's still that way uh, something that a lot of people don't realize is in the and i don't know um clearly i'm not on any of the any of the apps anymore number one but number two i was never on any of the straight apps and i know on the in the gay community in the apps it was all about the way certain letters appeared yes so if people were looking for something they're throwing out 420 green friendly trees or Having the capital T's yes. throughout is how you knew people were looking for the, the same thing as you. Yes. So those were the profiles that you're looking for. Yes. Okay. So at this time, you're using? At this time, I hooked up with somebody. And then, of course, they popped it out. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then that's when I said, okay, let me try it. And, of course, he was reluctant because he didn't want to have somebody that's never tried it start using because, yeah, of course, people get hooked. It's very intense. Yes. So, I did a couple of puffs because, of course, we were smoking it. And, of course, I didn't feel anything because, you know, since I'm taking Adderall, it's basically one chemical difference from meth. Okay. So, I didn't really feel it at the time. And, of course, I felt a little bit. And I'm like, okay, I guess this is what it is. And, you know, I kind of got a little bit more horny because that's what it does. That's what it does. Oh, Yeah. And then it was, it became a weekend thing, you mm-hmm. know, this guy's name was Barry. So this is, yeah. you're, you're 28 at this time. Yeah, I'm 28, 29. So, so this is when you start getting to the point where it's really going to tip. Yeah. So okay, so. Where I'm going to get okay. tipsy. So go know? ahead. So anyway, then I get on Facebook and I end up looking through profiles over there and I get up with a guy named Carrie. Now, I can tell you that it was around Thanksgiving 2018, and then that's when I started going over there and hanging out with him, like, basically days on end. Okay. And, of course, at the time, I didn't know that he was off his rockers. I didn't know the, uh, you know, symptoms of how somebody was on paranoia or if they were, uh, you know, acting under the influence. Right. Now... Of course, at first, he was trying to tell me all about how to, you know, set up cell phones, tracking people on, you know, like, where they went. Because Android, you know, they can actually tell you, uh, what was it called? Where it would tell you the direction in which you drove during, out the course of the day. Okay. Okay, so that's what he was Just following about. you. Yeah. Okay. Basically... Give me the rundown on how to track people and, you know, kind of keep tabs. So he's wanting you to track people. He was just giving me the, you know, rundown, the rundown. Tuto- okay. tutorial on how to be paranoid and, you know, all that. <laughs> yeah. Lovely traits. Oh, yeah. So, of course, we didn't use, but he was telling me that he used and that he didn't have any, but he was willing to look for some. And, of course, we didn't really start off at the bat doing it. But as more and more I got to hang out with him, he brought it over, and then we started smoking it. And it did not take me long for me to shoot it up. And let's just put it this way. 
within a month, I was putting almost a gram in my veins. So we're going to go ahead with that. We're going to yeah. take a break, and we're going to come right back. Stay tuned. Oh, won't you smile we were welcome back we were talking about how now you finally started to get to the point where you were shooting it so what i find that's interesting is i think there's a lot of people out there that don't realize it is something you can shoot as well and for me what i always thought was that you smoked it number Mm -hmm. one it wasn't until i heard much later someone said something about shooting and i thought oh naturally i thought they were talking about heroin and they're like no 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 you can shoot meth. And it yes. was like, what? And what I heard, and I'm assuming you'll probably have a story about something similar, is he said that at certain points where he was getting so strung out and needing that fix that the dealers would take advantage sometimes, sell him garbage that was basically just like straight up battery acid. He'd shoot it and then he'd spend the whole night basically just in shakes and going into convulsions. So I don't know if you ever experienced anything like that, but like to me, the thought of that even being a possibility, like those are the reasons why for me, I just, I stuck with alcohol, Yeah, you know? So for you, you got a taste and you started to go down this path. You said you got to the point where you're shooting a gram. Yeah. Almost a gram. Okay. And how far out of control did it go? Cause it's not cheap either all the time. Okay. Once you really get going. So, after Greg moved out and all that stuff, and, you know, like, kind of got my distance away from him, that's when Carrie needed a place to stay, because, of course, the garage and he was staying in uh, was getting to the point where he had to move out. He had to leave that place, because, after all, he was stealing things out of that place, and let's just put it that way. The house looked brand new, but it looked like it was destroyed by just junk and just, like, food everywhere. Okay. You know, it was just nasty. So I decided to ask my aunt if he could live with me. Okay. Because after all, like I said, codependency is a drug itself. And yeah, cross addiction is, you know, right. there. So with that being said, he started living with me. That's when it got worse. And we would basically, leave, we would not even be in the house most of the time and if we were in the house we were shooting and we were doing it when my aunt was asleep were you both working at this time carrie did not work were you i was working okay i kept my jobs and of course that's an impressive task yes under those circumstances oh yeah it didn't take long for me to lose bush and wasn't because of drugs but there was a story in which i stood i stayed awake and i'm not exaggerating i'm not trying to you know get you know awe but I did stay up for 30 days before. Okay. So it was a month. And of course, this time I chose to kind of get myself to fall asleep because I was waiting for Carrie. He was working for a little bit at Bush. He was actually kind of lucky because during Christmas time, normally you can't really get into work at Bush Gardens during Christmas time because they close in January. Okay. So he got lucky. And he worked for a few days, and then he fell off the face of the earth because he would... Now, he wouldn't stay with me all the time. He would actually leave periodically. Okay. And I would go look for him. But in the meanwhile, I would, you know, use two, you know, because I would look at the places that we used to go because we we weren't stuck to one drug dealer. We were stuck to many. Okay. He's the guy that bounces around. 
And because by now you're doing any work you're doing and any money you're making is specifically for you to get what you need to keep getting high. Yes, that's basically it. So it's kind of like I would basically take $500 out of my account to, you know, replace the money that I spent for using. And of course, he wasn't equal share. He was more or less, you know, taking most of it, using it, and giving me a little bit. It's kind of like he was giving me the scraps. Okay. So, with that, you know, it progressed to where my aunt and me and Carrie, you know, my aunt actually found out that I was using in the process. I was kind of, yeah. I was still keeping it a secret. So at this point, though, nobody, not with not people that you worked with, any friends, family, nobody had really said anything like, hey, you're acting different. Or yeah. there's, is there something going on? Yeah, nobody said anything. Because, of course, you know, when you are a, you know, a child that has never dealt with drugs and alcohol up until this point, it's like, okay. And besides, I didn't really hang out with my family because, like I said, if you're an outcast, you're not really hanging out with people that make you feel like an outcast. Right. So it was basically just all my time was with Carrie and with everybody that had any. And we would go to hotels. We would actually go to other people's houses. We'd party. I mean, we're having five, six people at a time. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, sometimes, or actually most of the time, you know, Carrie was acting all funky. You know, acting like he wanted to fight me for no reason. Okay. And, you know, just basically not have fun at all. During that night, because, you know, he's arguing with me over nonsense, and I'm trying to figure out what he was talking about, and of course, you know, hindsight, 2020, um, I knew that it was because of, like I said, the symptoms of paranoia, you know, people don't make sense when they're on it, you know what I'm saying? Because right. if you point, and that's the other phrase for shooting, is um, if you do like th- two or three points, this guy's doing more than a gram, I mean, come on. He's an avid user. That's how I got heavy into it in the first place. Okay. So, yeah. And when you met him, you knew he was an avid user. Yes. Or no? I knew he was you an knew. avid user. Okay. So, with that being said, it's... Yeah, that's how I went down the, the path very quickly. So, at this point where you're talking, you guys had been together for how long at this point? Because you guys were together overall for how long? It would have to be about seven months and Something like that. And you were together overall for how long? Uh, yeah, like for seven months. Overall. Thanksgiving, okay. and then it ended in April. Okay. So when it ended, what led to that dissolving? It led to it dissolving to the point where my aunt was fed up that he wanted she wanted to carry out, and I was not ready to give up that codependency. Okay. So I would look for him for a place to stay. I would hang out with him. I wouldn't stay at home, that kind of deal. Okay. So, I got to the point where, you know, he left, and I had to be by myself, and that was kind of, yeah, it was kind of hell for me, because here I am, amped on this stuff, and I'm sleeping on days on end, mind you. Yeah. And I can remember peanut butter sh- uh, jelly sandwiches, you know, that kind of deal, and then going to bed all day. Right. And it's kind of, let's just put it this way, it's... If you've ever felt anxious before, let's just multiply it by a hundred. Because after all, you're dealing with paranoia. You're dealing with you know always thinking that somebody's against you. You always think that you you know need to prove something. You, there's a 
deeper meaning behind stuff and okay. it's just crazy stuff. It, it's hard to explain. But uh long story short, I started using by myself. Okay, so he's gone at this point. Yeah, he's gone at this point. Okay. And then of course the tipping point of me going to rehab Farley Center. So before we get to that, yeah. you said that he was gone. So now the loneliness, you're able to cope with being single. Yes. Because now you have this. Yes. And you're using. Yes. So now you're using alone and that's enough to mm-hmm. numb it out. Yes. So now you're using that as a full on escape. You're able to keep it at bay. You're only providing for yourself. Yes. And has your aunt found out that you're still, it's getting worse at this point, even with the guy gone? By the time it got to the point where Carrie had to leave, I had to leave and stay with my parents. Okay. And so my parents were allowing me to stay there and I was still using. Did they know? I believe that they knew, but they didn't think that I was using in the house. But I think my dad caught me one or tw- one or two times. And he actually got really aggressive with me, and he crushed the the, the pipe that I had. That's what I was going to ask. So, what I, from what I understand, once you cross over from smoking, um, you and into shooting, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily go back. You can. I actually went back because, of course, I it was kind easier. Of, I didn't like needles in the first okay. place. Okay. And yeah. Because I, I just, from what I understood, the the actual intensity was much higher with shooting. Yes. So, okay. So you did go back. And at this point, your dad did find out, and yes. he crushed the pipe. Yeah, he crushed the pipe, and of course, you know, I brought another one in. I started messing with glass. I start making bongs and stuff like that, and yeah, it was just out of control. And while you're using this, are you also drinking? No. Okay. Everything stopped, even smoking cigarettes. Okay, so you're just smoking meth. Yes. Okay. So, this goes on for how much longer before they finally confront you to the point of putting you in rehab? Let's just say maybe about a month or two, and then that's when they found my phone unlocked because I was tired of putting my password in, and they unlocked my phone. They saw me jerking around because when you are going to sleep under the, you know, because you haven't slept in a while, you start, you know, jerking in your sleep and, you know, making noise, Mm -hmm. and they were looking at me like I was weird, and then that's when they looked through my phone and then that's where my lowest point was, where I was on the ground. They were talking to me about how disgusting I was, and I was crying my eyes out. And then the next day, I went to Fairfield Psychological, which that's when I found out, you know, I needed to go to Farley Center, and I went to a 28-day rehab center. And this is what Farley year? Farley Center. This was 2018. Okay. This was July. So, so, July of 2018, you go to Farley Center. Yes. You're there for 28 days. Yes. And everything, start. the lights start coming back on in your head. You yes. start realizing, did you finally realize you did, in fact, have a problem? Yes. Or you were just doing what was necessary to keep a roof over your head? Uh, I, I think both. Okay. It had to be both. Because 28 days when I was away from people, places, and things, that's when, you know, I started getting all excited and whatnot to the point where... Yeah, I really like recovery, and then once I got back to the house where all the stuff was, that's when I delved back in. So how long (laughs) after you got home were you able to kind of hold it together? Because I know that when you leave facilities like that, they usually put together some sort of aftercare plan. Wasn't able to do that because I had work at 3.30 to midnight, and of course, out. Uh, outpatient therapy, that was impossible. And inpatient, that would take... So when you left there, your priority was still, I've got to work. Yes. Okay. It was not your recovery yeah. at that point. Okay. So when you left, 
with that in mind, you really only changed your circumstance. Did it become clear to you in that moment that nothing had really changed except you took a momentary break? Yes. Okay. That's exactly right. So how long before you realized nothing's going to change if I keep up with this? Um, how long before you used again? Within a day. Wow. Okay. That's how it was. Okay, so you got home. You go right back. Yes. That's when I was hanging out with people, and of course my parents were like, you can't hang out with anybody, and of course I would always make excuses, and they would let me out. Yeah, because they can't be around you all day long. And they can't hold me back, because I'm an adult myself. Right. So, in that sense, um, you know, I would go from work to my friend's place, and then I would come home. You know, my dad would only give me certain, uh, you know, like he would give me a time limit. I'd have to be home by a certain time. And I would literally, you know, get home at the last minute. And uh, he would never threaten to throw me out because he knew that if he did, then he would lose his son, I think. That's what I think. Okay. But uh, by the grace of God, like I said, my dad didn't throw me out. And, you know, it got to the point where after a while, I saw, what was it? It was kind of like in the month of January, February of 2019, that's when... I was introduced to Joe. He used to go to the... He would usually show up, and he would talk to me about Oxford. And then that's when he convinced me to go. And the the funny thing is, and this is kind of like a miracle here, is that I went to a Toby Mac concert. Of course, you know, I was still using at the time, but I made an obligation to go to a Toby Mac concert. And with my aunt and a church member... And I actually said to myself, in line, you know, getting into the uh, Ted Constant Convocation Center, is that if I were to see Joe again, that I would I would go to Oxford. Like you were going to take that as a sign. Yeah. And guess who was right behind me out of 2,000 people in line waiting? It was Joe. <laughs> and he's like, Justin, hey, Justin, what's up? And then that's when I felt, uh, I feel like, not a literal slap, but a, I guess you could say a symbol of a slap in the face, saying, you know what, God immediately answered, saying, there you go. It's time for you to get your life together. Exactly. On that note, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We're going to stop for this part, and we'll be back with the next segment of your story. Stay tuned. Just trust me, okay? I smell sex and can they hear me? That lounging in my chair mm-hmm. 